Good morning, Forest Lake Church. How are you guys doing? Good. <laughs> uh, today's a very bittersweet moment for me because uh, I grew up in this church. I was dedicated to this church, and this is going to be the last sermon for a while that I preach at this church. So it's a very bittersweet moment for me, but a good one at the same time. Thank you for, I don't know, raising me to be who I am today. So anyway, aside from that, let's start with prayer, all right? Dear Father in heaven, today we invite your spirit into this place. I ask that as I speak, I do not speak to the people in front of me, Lord, but I speak to you. May the words that come out of my mouth be not my words, but words of yours. May I glorify you and you alone, Lord. Be with us and be with this message today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as you saw earlier, I saw Jason up here playing the bass and I see Rachel in the audience and I'm very, very excited about that because today I'm going to tell them a story about their son. <laughs> um, there used to be this place off of I-4 called the Artagon Mall and this place was awesome. This place was so, so cool. You walk in and immediately you're greeted with this giant ropes course just across the main part of the mall. There's kids running up there and some adults up there. And then you look to your left and there's like this skate shop that's really small, and it, but it taught me everything I know about skating and my one wheel and all this other stuff. So that's why I learned that. You look to your left and there is another shop, but this one's selling local art pieces by artists in the area. That's what local means. But it's, it was such a cool place. It was a hipster's paradise. I loved this place. And I went here one year for my birthday. It was that cool of a place. One day, my friend Max Lassell and I wanted a more efficient way of transportating around the mall. So we decided to bring our skateboards because we saw somebody else doing it once. So we were like, let's do it. Now, me, Max, and Dave, we would go to this mall a lot and we would rent these little like animal carts and just drive around the mall on those things. We were teenagers doing that. We were very, very cool. <laughs> but this time, Max and I wanted to skateboard. But because we love Jesus, we decided to ask someone beforehand. <laughs> we went to the security guard and said, hey, can we skate around the mall? We've seen somebody else doing it. Can we do it? And he said, no, sorry, you're not allowed. And like any rebellious teenagers that love skating, we said, okay, no problem. And we went back to his car. And once we got to the car, we put our skateboards in, we closed the door, and all of a sudden this car pulls up behind us. We look and we're like, what's, what's this lady doing? And she rolls down her window and says, I saw what you did. This moment my heart sank. We were caught red-handed. We were in trouble. But the part that worried me isn't that we were caught, it's we weren't too sure what we were caught doing. What are you talking about, lady? What did you see us do? So I must have misheard her. I said, uh, excuse me? <laughs> and she said, I saw what you did. At this point, Max caught on to what she was saying, I think. So he dangled his keys and beat the car, saying, hey, this is our car. She said, with the confidence to rule an army, I saw what you did and sped off. Max and I looked at each other, shrugged, and went on with our day. We're like, that was kind of weird, a fun story to tell later. So we walked back up to the mall, and we were just laughing at what had happened, how weird that was. But then I saw in the reflection of the window a familiar car. She was following us, and we noticed that she was videotaping us, too, as we were going to the mall. But at this point, we had the confidence of teenagers, so we were like, okay, whatever, you know, we could take her, and we went back into the mall. 
in this mall, there was a place that we loved called Gods and Monsters. And even though it sounds sacrilegious, it was a comic book shop. It was really cool. And in the back of this place, there was like a, a creamery. Um, there was a bunch of sodas. So me and Max went right to the back. We hung out in the comic book shop. We ordered our cream sodas. And we were just having a good time. We thought it was over. And we were just talking about it. As we're talking about it, eight mall cops come walking in all in short shorts up here and half of them on bicycles. So they're like riding around each other's like, it's kind of snapping like West Side Story. It's awful. It was a terrible scene. And we were like, look at these guys. Oh, they're coming for us. So they come up to us and our hands are 10 and 2 on the table. What seems to be the problem, officers? We got a complaint that you guys were checking car handles. She told the cops that we were checking car handles. She thought we were checking car handles. Now, granted, she was true, but the only detail she left out is it was our car handle. You know how you like lock a car, you make sure it's locked? That's what we were doing. So, a skinny Maxwell Lassell and a baby-faced Gavin Forbes were escorted out of a mall by eight officers. Once we got to our car and proved that it was our car, Oh, we're so sorry, sir. We're so sorry. We're so sorry. You can go along your day. And we were let go back to our fizzy drinks. How many of you guys have been confidently wrong? How many of you guys have ever jumped the gun? Today, we are going to be reading a story in Acts 19 about something very, very similar. It starts in Acts 19, verse 21. It reads, Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go through Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also go to Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, he said to himself, in Asia, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in the similar trade and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only today in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, that this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many of people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only in this trade of ours, may that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together to a theater, dragging Gaius and Art. Aristarchus, I have it like spelled out there, uh, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go among the crowd, the disciples would not let him go. Even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd, but the crowd recognized that he was a Jew. For about two hours, they cried out in one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know the city of the Ephesians is the temple of the keeper, the temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? 
Seeing then that these cannot be denied, you ought be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are pre-councils. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. For we are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause to which we can justify for this commotion. And when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Bye, everybody. No, I'm just kidding. I personally am really, really bad at reading comprehension, so let's break that down a little bit. <laughs> uh, verse 21, again. Now, after these things, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also go to Rome. And having sent these into Macedonia, two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, he said to himself, I must stay in Asia for a while. Paul basically goes to Ephesus. After this, and it also makes note that there was no little, dis there was no little disturbance concerning the way. Everybody was cool with this message of Jesus that was popping up in random places. This was relatively fresh stuff. Paul was just going, being like, yes, your old ways are good, but someone died for you. This is new. This isn't like something that we've been talking about for hundreds of years. This, is, this just happened. So people were like, okay, cool, this is a thing. Until this one guy named Demetrius, a silversmith, and it says, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. That's a, it's a double negative, which means he brought a lot of business to the craftsmen. He was not only just a silversmith of the goddess, he was good at it too. And the shrines, Artemis was basically the goddess of wildlife. I like to think of it as she was Mother Earth, basically. So everybody was like, we need to worship the earth. This is our goddess of the earth. He, together, he gathers together the worksmen in similar trades in verse 25 and says, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many of people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is no danger only in this trade, but of ours make, but only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis may be counted as nothing, and she may even be disposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So he got with his work friends and said, this message, more specifically Paul, is ruining business every single place that he goes. He's saying that gods made of hands are not gods, but that's what we do, and that's how we make money. So we can't have them do this. They got so angry that they dragged two random travelers, two of Paul's friends, who none of these people know. And what happens? Paul says in 28, or Paul does this in 28. Oh no, sorry, in verse 30. But when Paul wished to go among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. Paul doesn't see like, oh, I got to go save my friends. He says, you know what? These people, need, they need Jesus. <laughs> I don't care if they want to kill me or my friends. They need Jesus. He saw this as an opportunity to spread the gospel. But these people were vicious. They wanted to kill him. His own friends had to hold him back. And it even says, and some of the, some of the Asiarchs, who are basically followers of Artemis, also held him back. The people who he's trying to get rid of are like, hey, you should really not do that. They're going to kill you. And this is the verse, I, I really like this verse. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. This is the mob mentality of this thing. 
They started with one thing, but then other people are like, oh, this is a time to protest this. This is a time to riot against this. But nobody knew why they were doing it. There was a great, there was a lot of people, but all of them are like, what are we doing here? Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had pushed forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense against the crowd. At this time, like I said, Christianity was relatively new. And it was seen as like this weird offshoot of Judaism. But Alexander being prompted, I'm sure he wanted to go up and said, hey, those are Christians, we are Jews, we have nothing to do with them. This is their controversy, let them handle it. Don't, don't put us involved in the middle of this. But in verse 34, when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried with one voice, great is Artemis of Ephesians. Now, we've been here for 30 minutes. Imagine for that 30 minutes and the rest of this event, we are just chanting the same thing over and over and over again. I don't know if you guys have ever been to a, a sports game where you all are chanting the same thing, like, yeah, go Bucks, go Bucks. That's my team. Go Bucks, go Bucks. And then halfway, like, after three minutes, everybody's like, go. You know, like, it's, it's kind of died down. But for four, two hours strong, they're chanting the same thing over and over again. And then... In verse 35, when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there that doesn't know the city of Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Yes, it is true that Paul went to this place to tell them about Christ and to tell them about Jesus with his followers, but at this point, they had done nothing. They literally just showed up. They literally didn't even have a chance to like put their bags in their hotel room, check into the holiday, do anything. They didn't have any of this. They didn't even have time to swing by Taco Bell on the way there. They had no, they just showed up. Imagine just rolling right past the Apopka sign and everybody's like, here are you, you know? Like that's what was happening here. In verse 38, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are pre-councils. Let them bring charges against one another, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. If you have any complaints, the courts are open. For we are in real danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause in which we can justify this commotion. If you guys don't knock it off, we're going to have legal repercussions. <laughs> and when he said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, something that I think is really, really interesting is, yes, Paul tried to stop. There was three times where the crowd tried to get stopped. Paul went in, tried to preach the gospel. His friends held him back. They prompted a Jewish man to come forward and try to differentiate stuff, but they held him back. God used a non-denominational government worker to stop the crowd. That's a little offshoot, but I think it's incredible that God isn't just subject to talking through Christians. He can talk through anybody. This guy, Demetrius was so confident in his product that he was willing to start a literal riot. The crowd had no idea what was happening, but Demetrius and his workmen started it. He can't take our products. He can't take our God. They yelled at these people for two hours. So again, I ask, how many of you guys have been confidently wrong? How many of you guys were confident that you saw some random kids checking a door handle? How, furthermore, how many of us are willing to riot for our products. As a church, it is our job to harvest fruit. We all have fruit, but the question is, what fruit do we have? 
And, and if you are confused on what fruit we are trying to produce, Paul writes about it in Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. You guys all know this verse. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Cool. But earlier in the chapter, like I said, if you aren't producing these fruits, I have some not great news for you. There are other fruits that Paul writes about in a few verses earlier. In verse 19, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. The fruits of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensationality, sense, yes, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, desensation, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are our default products. Because we are born into a sinful world, this is what we produce. It's like being planted to grow strawberries and then getting upset when you grow strawberries. But the thing about God is when we are planted as strawberry seeds, he's telling us, I can make you apples. That's pretty crazy. But by default, we grow strawberries or fruits of the flesh. I don't know why I'm picking on strawberries. The people of Ephesus, they were producing idolatry. And even though we might not be bowing down to little statues and singing their praises, this might not be as far off from us as we would like to imagine. For me personally, I have been worshiping this little box. This has been something that has been glued to me for the past, I've noticed it in this past week, I've just been attached to it. And yes, I have been worshiping it. I haven't been offer, luckily giving money to, well, Kind of, you know, paying the phone bill, but that's not the same thing. I have been attached to this as soon as I wake up, I look at my phone, as soon as I go to bed, I look at my phone. This is the default filter. And then you get that notification that says, you are 200% over your normal. And you're like, oh man, this was my idol. Now it might be the same for you, but what is that fruit or product that you are holding on to? Is it your phone? Is it food? Is it work? Is it money? Is it that toxic relationship you know you need to leave? Is it sex? Is it drugs? Is it TV? Is it entertainment? It can be anything. Anything that is taking you away from God, that is your idol. So even though the idea of idolatry seems very foreign to these people of Ephesus, we are guilty of it too. Now, I don't know what yours is, but I do know something. And this thing that I'm about to say is very, very, very controversial. People have died because of what I'm about to say. People have rioted because of what I'm about to say. It's a matter of life and death. There is a truth that is beyond you and me. The truth is worth so much more than money can buy. And the truth is that Jesus has died and risen again. And the, he died so that we can replace our products with a gospel that is in our heart and lives through us. The people of Ephesus made their decision long before Paul even came. They didn't even get a chance to let him talk. But Paul wasn't there to take away their way of life. He wasn't there to take away their idols. Sure, that was part of it. But he was there to give them something better. 
I see what you're selling, but I have something better. Now, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, I don't think I would have reacted like Paul at all. <laughs> I just, I, I can be pretty hot-headed. I don't know if you guys can tell. And there are many times where I 100% didn't think in the moment, like, this person, this person needs the gospel. You know, that's the last thing on my mind. Probably the complete opposite. This person doesn't, believe, doesn't need Jesus. This person needs hell. Thank goodness for that. But Paul came. Okay, so let's think of it this way. When this lady came to me to check, on checking my car door handles, yes, I was using her as an example of being confidently wrong. But if we're being honest, store, and my soda was very warm when I got back. I was not feeling very live, laugh, love in that moment. This reminds me of Paul's scenario, but instead, Paul wasn't making fun of this, this congregation or these people in front of an entire congregation, which I'm not doing. I'm, I kind of am. But what he ended up doing is when Paul sees these people, he doesn't see an inconvenienced an inconvenience moment. He doesn't see a crowd that is trying to kill him, which is what actually was happening. He sees a crowd of lost children. He's like, these people don't really know what they want. It literally says over and over every time it talks about the riot in this verse, they were confused. They were confused. There was great confusion. Paul saw that. He didn't see the riot. And in fact, Paul talks about this in his letter to the Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, this verse challenges me every day. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of all evil in the heavenly places. Now talk about something hard. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is greater, it is beyond that. Now, if you thought I had something controversial to say before, now I have something even more controversial, something that I personally don't always like, but something that we all need to know. The same Jesus that died for you and me is the same Jesus that died for those rioters. The same Jesus that died for you and me is the same Jesus that died for that lady. The same Jesus that died for you and me is the same Jesus that died for the teacher that for some reason does not like you. The same Jesus that died for that boss that won't recognize you for your hard work. Now let's go a little bit deeper. He's the same Jesus that died for the lady of the night who doesn't know who her next client is going to be. He died for the terrorist that shot up the mall. Jesus is the Savior of sinners. That person doesn't deserve Jesus. I don't feel like they do, but thank goodness I'm not in charge. But here's the thing, if those people don't deserve Jesus, I have news for all of us, we do not either. In fact, none of us do. But that is the amazing thing about Jesus, is it's not a transactional thing like we're used to, this is a free gift that he has given to us. He suffered on our behalf. And like I said, this sounds hard because we're in a transactional state of mind. And Jesus, I have bad news for you, man. I got nothing to give you. I have absolutely nothing. What do you want, money? Do you want my house? I have nothing as compared to what you have given me. In fact, we do have something to give him. We talked about it earlier. 
We have our sexual immorality, our impurity, our sensationality, our idolatry, our sorcery, our enmity, our strife, our jealousy, our fits of anger, our rivalries, our desensation, our division, our envy, and our drunkenness. Yes, this is a free gift of God. And yes, Jesus says, I've done this for you. It's already happened. You just need to accept it. But he goes even further and says, those things that you're hanging on to that you do not like, I'll take those. He's basically saying, I'll pay you to take my product. And that's an offer I can't refuse. (laughs) And thank goodness, like I was saying earlier, when I see these people, I don't think they deserve Jesus. And I don't think I deserve Jesus. But... He actually tells us in the Old Testament to, through Samuel, when Samuel is going to find a new king for the people of Israel, God said something to him in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on his heart. When Jesus sees the crowds of the world, he doesn't see hatred or anger or sadness. I mean, he does, but what he sees is a crowd of confused children, confident in their own products. That's awesome. Who cares? (laughs) Let's be honest. Who cares? Well, hopefully all of us. Because if we are supposed to be a church in action, this applies to us in every single way. Let's go to one of my favorite verses of all time, the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus said, this is Jesus' final message to the entire world, has his time here on earth. Not to the final message, but his final message here on earth. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Jesus is telling us to go, not just tell people about him, but to make disciples. It can be easy for us. And when I think of disciples, I'm like, cool, I can choose my friends and I can disciple to them. I can choose my friends I've grown up with. I can choose my church family. They, they, are, they know me. They let me preach in front of them. That's awesome. But let us remember that Jesus had tax collectors and fishermen as his disciples, the lowest of the low in that society. So if we're going to be a church in action, I urge you to look at Paul's example. Or furthermore, look at Paul's example, Jesus and see what he did. Be salespeople for the Lord. If your product is tying you down, if you're tired and just angry and you don't know why you're doing this, I have something better for you. And the best part is it's free. Let God take our products so that we can sell something better. And that something better is a gospel that lives in us of Jesus' free salvation. So as I close here today, I have some questions that I want you guys to think of and talk with your families or talk with people around you about this. 
So my first question is, is God calling you to disciple someone who is confidently wrong with you? If so, who? What product are you rioting for right now that you need to let go? And what does that look like? And my last one is, who is someone who you see as your enemy that you need to love extra hard? Thank you, church family.